This week on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking to Dr. Melissa Alfaro about practical tips for better preaching. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. So glad you're back with us. We got a very special guest with us today, David. Yeah, yeah. Um, Someone who I don't know if either of us have actually met in person, but we've heard uh, her minister and preach, and uh, she... Very recently. Yes, very recently in Orlando this summer. She she really serves and represents a specific demographic within the Assemblies of God, which you are still a part of, and I sadly no longer am. What? What what are you talking about? The under forty. Oh my goodness, you're not under forty anymore. Wow. <laughs> yeah, actually, I turned forty one in two weeks from today. So let's start Whoa. by talking about uh, what you're getting me for my birthday. <laughs> wow. I have a, I have an Amazon wish list that I'm willing to send to any listener who just feels like you know what I'm so encouraged by multi podcasts. It lifts my spirit to hear David correct and encourage and rebuke Jared weekly. Yes. And so I just want to gift uh, him with something. We can do that. Right? We could put set it in the show up. notes. Absolutely. We'll set that up. Yep. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get you something real nice. Probably take you out to lunch because that's your favorite thing. That, but um, but we're, we're excited about today. Uh, we have Dr. Melissa Alfaro with us and um, it's a treat. She is an author, a speaker, a pastor, mm-hmm. a wife, a mother, um, what else am I missing? A guest of the Multiply Podcast. A guest of the Multiply Podcast. And was uh, was a main speaker at the General Council in Orlando. Yes, and even more importantly than that, because I'm sure she holds this in higher regard than that opportunity, she will be the main speaker at the New York Youth Convention this spring. That's awesome. Yeah. I cannot wait. Absolutely. <laughs> Melissa, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you. Hello, David and Jared. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you, and thank you both for, for the invitation to just chat with you. Yeah, we're excited for it, and uh, and some of the topics that we uh, kind of discussed ahead of time are uh, right in line with what we love talking about, and excited to have your unique voice speak to it. So before we dive in, um, if some of our listeners haven't heard you speak or maybe haven't heard your story, uh, you currently serve as the executive presbyter, the executive presbyter for the under 40 for the National Assemblies of God, um, and so... We'd love to hear kind of your story. You know, how, how I know you and your husband are pastors. Um, you're speaking all over the, the country and maybe even the world. And so share with us a little bit kind of how you got started, how you ended up where you are now, and, and uh, tell us your story. Yeah, well, I, I think for probably for a lot of us, um, some of the big God moments in our life that we might put a limelight on or that make the the biggest platforms or something, people might say, oh, you know, how did that happen? But I think it's all comprised of small moments of faithfulness. Um, My husband and I were, well, I'm a PK, grew up, went to Bible school, Southwestern. I'm a Sagu Lion alumni, um, one of our assemblies of God universities in Waxahachie. And and I met my husband there. We got married. We were pastoring, and then God called us into the evangelistic field. And while doing that, I was a, a full-time teacher, worked in the public school system, then got promoted to a district uh, coordinator that oversaw six middle school campuses and the ESL programs that were being developed and and um, kind of just taking place there, working with the teachers. A lot of 
staff development and coaching, uh, I would say we were in a very comfortable place. We were ready to start a little more seriously on the baby thing, trying to have a family, bought a house. I mean, everything was going perfect. We, it was like a Superman and Clark Kent. During the week, we were Clark Kent working our, our regular jobs, and then on the weekend, traveling like Superman, getting to preach and visit many wonderful churches and, and pastors and families around the country, and it was awesome. Um, we used to always say it was so much easier than being a pastor because you could just leave on Sunday evening, you're done, and leave the pastor with the issues on Monday morning. Now as a pastor, I'm like, uh-uh, we don't like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but then in the middle of our comfort season, and this is uh, this was really where transition happened, um, it took a step of obedience. As I said, we were very comfortable, and God began to rustle, rustle the nest a little bit, and we just knew in our spirit some, it was time for a transition. Something was happening, and it was even a, a transition in our assignment. And I remember um, when we lived in Houston early on in our marriage for a span of six months uh, while we transitioned out of our pastorate and into full-time evangelism, um, and while we did that, I'll be honest, I'm a country girl, born and raised in a small little country town. There's more horses and cattle than people. I mean, it's it's ranches out there. It's very safe to one main street, leave your doors unlocked when you go into the store, leave your engine on, leave your doors, uh, your home door unlocked. I mean, very safe, very family friendly. Then you come to Houston, the city boy takes the country girl, and I mean, it was culture shock for me. Mm. And so when we left after those six months, I remember going back up to North Texas and uh, was going to start grad school, and we were going into the evangelism ministry. And and I told uh, my husband as we're driving out of Houston on that I-45, I said, I will never move back to Houston. I will never raise my children here. Uh, This is just not a safe environment. And I was was resigned and had totally, you know, in my mind, the decision is made. Well, um, about six years after that, uh, that's when we get the call. And um, prior to that, there were some months before that during my prayer time that the Lord was just, I need you to pray for Houston. I want you to pray for this church. And I was like, Lord, but you know, I don't like Houston. Why are you asking me to pray for them? (laughs) This is like Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, I need you to pray for Houston. Little by little, I kid you not, God began to transform my heart with a heart for Houston. And um, he only knew what the transition was that was up ahead, that we were going to step into pastor a church here in Houston in the heart of where all the um, the roughness, the poverty, the alcoholism, all that stuff is, the crime, we're right in the heart of it, pastoring a beautiful church there. That church, the church we came to was the church that my husband had been born, raised, baptized here. The pastor that was the previous pastor had married us, uh, had baptized him. My husband received his call in the ministry here at El Tabernacolo or Tab Church Houston. And the church had been in existence close to 70 years when we got here. They were about to celebrate their 70th year anniversary. The pastor pre- prior to us that was retiring, um, he had been here 53 of those years. Wow. And there had been very few pastors prior, uh, even before him. So we were coming into a very intimidating situation, to say nonetheless. Um, but we knew because of the way God was orchestrating it, it was a, a God divine moment. And we were just faithful to obey him, even though we didn't know what was on the other side, even though it was very different than our comfort and what we were used to. Um, we just, we stepped out in faith. We, we, we were obe- obedient. And then from there, um, 
it was a lot of small faithful steps. I, I don't even know how to describe it, working in in the district with girls ministries and then getting connected there and then uh, working with some under 40 ministers, but without an official title, mentoring some people that were in our district and, and young women as well coming up in the ministry, just a lot of being faithful to that and being sensitive to where God had us in that season. And when the opportunity came for, um, for the under 40 position, I mean, nothing I was looking for, nothing I was, nothing that was on my resume that I had said, I'm going to do this by the time I'm, you know, before I hit 40. No, it, it was totally a God moment. And one that I almost shied away from, almost said, you know, I, I wanted to tell my superintendent, don't put my name in, don't let it. And then it just unfolded, I believe, as God's sovereign plan. And, and it's been a privilege to be able to serve and sit around that table and meet so many under 40s and be able to represent them and what they're going through, whether it's church planning, whether it's pastoring, whether it's as a missionary, a lay person serving the church, whatever it is, just to be able to, to be that voice and make sure that they're, uh, they're very much a part of the vision and the movement and the direction we're going as an Assembly of God movement. So, um, it's been an honor and, and a privilege that I thank God for every single day. Man, that is a great story. And a few things I just noticed listening to you I, uh, that are worth, I think, all of our listeners considering when it comes to how God leads and directs us sovereignly through our lives is, uh, first off, that you were willing to allow God to challenge and change your expectations, your priorities, your plans for your own lives. It's uh, we're very good at, at sort of scripting out how we want our lives to go, and we forget sometimes that that God has some thoughts, too, on that. And uh, I, I just uh, honor that in you and think that's a good reminder for all of us. I also just uh, love what you said early in about just like small steps, faithful steps in the right direction. Um, Eugene Peterson has a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, and I just think of the Christian walk very often. Sometimes we get enamored with the big moments and we forget that often it's the smaller moments that define who we are and learning to follow God in the mundane and just faithful. Um, and, and looking back, we can see, and in the moment we don't always see, but looking back, we can see how he used those small moments. And then the other thing that you said that I think is worth just kind of pulling out and highlighting for all of our listeners is that um, you now have a position and a title, but you were already that person before you had the position or the title. Um, you already were, if I heard you, mentoring and serving young leaders within your network before you had any sort of official title. And, and I think as leaders, one lesson there is when we look for people to step into positions, we should be looking for people who already are the type of person and already doing the type of thing. And they just don't have the title or the position yet, but it's yeah. already who we don't have to make them into that person to fit a position, right? And so Absolutely. I just think that's a great uh, little lesson to pull out of your story for our listeners is that um, be the person, you know, don't worry about the position that you're chasing. Don't be ambitious. Uh, it sounds like God just opened doors for you. And a lot of times when I talk with leaders, it tends to be their story is that they were not ambitious for where they are now, but they were just faithfully doing what God had placed before them. And it was actually preparing them perfectly for a position that he had for them. And so uh, I just loved hearing those things in your story. And, and thank you for sharing them with us. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right. Well, we want to talk a little bit about something you uh, have a lot of experience in, which is preaching today. And uh, I, we, as we mentioned before, we recently heard you at the General Council of the Assembly of God speaking. And my thought was, could there be a more intimidating audience to speak to? Um, that, yeah. 
when I was in the room, well, you did a great job, first of all, but I was like, man, this is an intimidating group. Like, I can't imagine. Yeah, for context for our audience, because not everybody knows what general counsel is. Okay, yes. What are, you, what are you describing? Well, it's so every two years, the Assemblies of God has a major conference where anybody who's a credential holder and even people that are not. So basically licensed pastors. And leaders, pastors, leaders, influencers. They all come together, thousands of people. So it's basically a room filled with people who preach every single week. Yeah. And are most probably, you know, could be easily critical of uh, other people. Connoisseurs right? of preaching. And uh, yeah, so it's like it's like being, you know, cooking for some of the best chefs around. Mm-hmm. Um, but you did it well. And so we, we want to hear a little bit from you, Melissa, uh, about some practical tips on better preaching. So in your experience and the things that you do, what are uh, a couple of things that you could lay out to us to say, here are some of the, the most helpful kind of practical tips that I've picked up, that I've learned, that I've implemented along the way? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it, too, is if there are certain disciplines that we have to just make part of our habit, spiritual disciplines as well as private uh, practical disciplines as far as a preacher that that'll strengthen what we do. Um, when I think of the calling and role that we have as preachers or ministers, I liken our our ministry to the profession of even a surgeon because we deal with we deal with people's hearts, the most vulnerable and sacred areas of their lives. We through the messages, we'll literally balance the matters of of their heart, their mind, with the Word of God, with truth, juxtaposing questions with their doubts and their fears, and, and trying to lead them ultimately to God's path of truth. Um, I like the way Hugh Blair says that he was an 18th century minister and rhetorician at the same time, and he said, speech is a great instrument by which man becomes beneficial to man, and it is to the intercourse and transmission of thought by means of speech that we're chiefly indebted for the improvement of thought itself. And so I believe, you know, God has given us and he uses that avenue of communication, we know as preaching, to be able to transform thought and change the course of action in people's hearts and minds. And so some of the things, um, if I can simplify this, I think there's two separate areas we've got to, to work on. The first area, and I know I'm preaching to the fire on this, but it is a strong passion. And if we go back to even what I said at the beginning, some of those bigger God moments and success come because you're faithful in the smaller ones. Um, so I think, first of all, you've got to give attention to spiritual disciplines, and that would be disciplines of prayer. I know we know that, but prayer has got to be a lifestyle for us as preachers. Uh, because I always say, if what are we going to feed them? What are we going to teach the people if we're not hearing from God's heart himself? Uh, we're not mind readers. We're not people that profess to know the future and can tell you everything. So we need to connect with the one who has it all in his hands and to know how to lay that out clearly to teach them truth and to teach them how to go to the truth to find God's will for their lives. Um, we don't have the luxury. I remember speaking with another under 40 minister. It was, uh, in fact, a, a new mom, and, and she was kind of t- talking to me about the struggles of having a, an infant and the sleep schedule, and, and she it was later on, we are to the point where the baby was becoming a toddler, and, and she just said, man, my prayer life has changed, and, and sometimes I'm missing it, and I know I shouldn't because I'm leading in ministry, and how do I deal with this? And I said, Look, I, I know because I'm a mom and I'm going through this as well. I said, but we as ministers, we don't have the luxury to skip on prayer. Um, whenever we do that, our messages are anorexic. They're dry. They're head knowledge. They sound like a motivational book or another seminar, self-help. 
which does nothing for the soul. And so we've got to make sure that we are staying uh, connected to the spirit and, and listening to God. And then we've got to be people of the word. You know, it can't, the word can't just be a mere textbook. The only time I crack it open is when I have an assignment. I need to get a message ready. I need mm-hmm. to get something, some material ready for a session. It's got to be our lifeline. It's got to be bread that refreshes us. Um, it's got to be the thing that we're not coming to the word. And I know God has challenged me on different occasions in my life and ministry where sometimes I found myself, okay, God, you know, I need to find it. So tell me what you want to tell the people. Let me find it in here. And he's like, when are you going to let me cut this bread open for you and just feed you? When are you going to let it penetrate your soul and spirit and judge your thoughts and actions and the attitudes of your heart? And and so we've got to be people of the word that we make it a lifestyle that, hey, I, I, I can't live and operate and breathe in this day without the word of God first. I need that bread. And then lastly, um, on still the spiritual disciplines, we've got to we've got to give attention to our character too. Which I mean, we would think that's a that's a non-negotiable. We know that, Melissa. But our sermon begins long before we hit that platform. Aristotle, in fact, he was another great rhetorician and philosopher. He said character is almost, so to speak, the controlling factor in persuasion. It's what's known in, in rhetoric as ethos. It plays a role in preaching the character of a person because they're they're not just listening to our words. They're is their life convincing? Mm-hmm. Does it bear witness to the message they're preaching? So how I conduct myself on the platform, on social media, one on one with other people, that's important to fostering the right environment for when I do begin to preach. And so all of that's kind of like the precursor. It's building up so that when I do stand before people and declare truth, they know it's not me talking about someone that I don't know, but it's talking about someone that I've been with. Uh, You guys were speaking about general counsel and during the influence conference, um, I don't know if y'all were there uh, when Pastor Al Toledo from Chicago, uh, Chicago Tabernacle preached, but one thought just struck me as he ministered. And I don't, I don't know if this, uh, there were a few other people within uh, my sphere of friends and stuff. We were talking about this, just reflecting and they sensed the same thing, but when he spoke, it was, you could tell he had been with the Holy Spirit. You could just sense the presence of God on his life. Um, he was talking to us about prayer, but you could tell he wasn't just giving us something he had read or heard on a podcast or heard another preacher preach. No, this is his life. Prayer is his lifeline. And I think with us being preachers, when we take care of the small stuff, we take care of our spiritual disciplines, being people of prayer, the word, and our character, living that Christ-like character, letting the fruit of the spirit shine out, even when we're, I mean, all times, when we're by ourselves, when we're, you know, just out and every day in the community, nothing ministry related, but just being Christ-centered, Christ-like all the time. People sense that and people know that. And it's almost, we become that fragrance that I know Paul writes about that they, they smell, you know, the God on you. They smell the Holy Spirit on you. It's just so evident. So I believe that's, that's the first thing that fosters the right environment. Man, that's so you know, good. We're going to be good, good preachers. That's yeah. amazing. Although I have to admit, you've got two co-hosts who are feeling pretty convicted over here. Um, especially, <laughs> no, Dave, no, especially no. David, you know. <laughs> You know, uh, well, and I, and that's why I say I'm preaching to the choir. These are things, if I can be honest, David and Jared, I think many times when we're in ministry, sometimes there are seasons where it gets busy, life gets busy. I know we'll, we'll talk about this in another segment, you know, even marriage and family, kids, toddlers, it gets so busy. 
you have to be intentional about guarding these spiritual disciplines. If not, and I always think of the story of Uzziah, and I know I shared that in general counsel, but it was, man, when he started as king and he was brought in as a young man, I believe it was 16 years old, he came in with the right disciplines. Those were the things that I think brought him to that place of promotion. But the moment he had success and it was going well and it just got busy is the moment the very things that brought him there were the things he let go of. Mm. He got loose on. And when that happens, oh, we run a risk because it, especially as ministers and preachers, we're not, we're not, it's not just about us. We, we're leading a flock. We're leading people. We're, whether it's high alpha and students you have, or it's a church that you're leading, we're responsible for them. And it's a daunting task that every day should drive us. That task in itself should drive us to this place of intimacy with the Father to get fed so we don't get weary in the process. And the only way to do that is having that intimacy through these avenues. But I believe that's a, this isn't all the practical. I'm going to give you some more other practical, but I, I always want to start with this because I, I'm so sold on this. We've got to be people of prayer, the word, and character, because that's where that's the, the foundation of it all. Those are powerful, necessary reminders. And um, I think that uh, one of the things I've learned in ministry is that success can be more dangerous than, than failure. And in oh, our yeah. supposed success, it, it becomes easy to get lazy, to get overconfident, to forget the source of our strength, and that's His Spirit that, that accomplishes things, not our might and not our strength. And uh, I love what you said about being a people of the Word. There's an old Dutch proverb that says, don't let the pulpit drive you to the Word, let the Word drive you to the pulpit. And um, yes. I think uh, mm-hmm. sometimes preachers can fall into that habit, like, i got to be in Scripture because i got to put a sermon together. And so let's talk a little bit about approaching Scripture. I know uh, our superintendent, yes. Doug Clay, his passion is right now, or one of his three primary focuses is biblical literacy. And, and my personal conviction is that biblical literacy has to start in the pulpit. And if there's not biblical literacy in our pews, it's because there's an issue in our pulpits. And um, so can you talk us through a little bit when you approach a text for preparing a message, um, can you talk us through your process a little bit? How do you approach the text in such a Absolutely. way that you are exercising biblical literacy and faithfulness in your interpretation, but also uh, with the mindset that you're preaching to an audience that nowadays, in many ways, is not very biblically literate? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I begin um, looking at the text, and I mean, as studiers of the word, preachers should be st- constant learners and studiers of the word. Um, we we know to go back and, and to study, the, to properly exegete and say, okay, what was, what was this passage? What was the context of it? Who was it written for? And what, what was it saying for them? What are the implications for the church today, the big C church today? Um, and I think we have to begin with that. Uh, some of the, the things that I think could help us with that, Jared and David, I think are number one, purpose. If I can put these, I'll outline these in three P's in case anybody out there is taking mental notes. Purpose. I, when I come to a text and after I've read it and I, I realize, you know, okay, what was it said back then? What are the implications for today? Now, how am I going to communicate this? What is God wanting to say to the church? I do my best to connect a biblical truth to a desired outcome I want to see in my audience. So what is the biblical truth that's being present and how, what's the outcome that needs to be seen in the audience that's listening. And then I lay that out in three to four four points, three to four points at the max um, that will logic, that will help me logically appeal to the reason of my audience, their mind, 
and help them connect the dots of the, ma of the message. Um, this is called the logos in rhetoric, that you're, you're literally piecing it together. Each point should either build on one another or affirm the previous point or should connect them to the conclusion you're taking them to. If they're all disjointed and, and, and disconnected, then we're not giving them a lot of depth to the content that we're presenting. Um, we can also give them great theology. Don't get me wrong. It's good to talk to them about, you know, the context and what were the people back then thinking and all that, but we can't leave them there. We have to provide them with action steps to help them live out the truth that they're reading in scripture. We got to be quick and concise about it. Uh, I kid you not, and I shared this with the ladies at the NWM breakfast there at, um, at General Counsel, but they, uh, I was sitting in a session years ago, and the woman gets up to speak, and she says, my sermon today is 20 points, but get your notes ready. I kid you not, I left that place not even knowing what had happened in that hour. <laughs> yes, it took an hour. I don't even remember any of the points. So I thought to myself, what was the reason of getting all that information? Had a lot of scripture with it, but I can't remember it. And we can't put into practice what we cannot easily recall to mind. And so I'm, I'm a real big proponent, and this is part of my rhetoric background. If they can't remember it when they're walking out of your church, in the way you tailor it, in the amount of information you give them, then it's, you're probably guaranteed they're not going to be able to put it into practice. Yeah. Yes, we, we have the sovereign help of the Holy Spirit, thank God, that can bring it back to their, their memory. Uh, scripture says, you know, he reminds us of those things that God says of us. But I think that we also have to be strategic when we're preparing those messages to make sure that it's bite-sized, concise, to where they can walk away, recall it, and put it to practice. Another thing I do is I, when I'm putting my message together, I think of my audience in advance. Um, and I actually got this from, um, I think it was Dr. George Wood, one of the books he read uh, years back, or he wrote years back. Um, I had read it, and it kind of just stuck with me. But thinking as you're preparing your message, typing it up, outlining it, does this, how will, how will the, the new Christian that's coming in, how, how will that 15-year-old that's going through, you know, teen issues, how will they perceive this? What will they take from it? What about that married person? What about the person that is a veteran in the Bible? What about the CEO or the school principal, um, the college student, the elder, the widow? What will they walk away from this message? Is there something that targets that entire gamut of audience, that all those dem demographics? Um, I want them all to be able to walk away from the message with biblical truth so that they can live it out. So not only do I picture them in my mind and I tailor strategically tailor my message to that, but I also anticipate their questions. I anticipate what might they ask about this? What my, what am I leaving open-ended that I need to fill there with Scripture and with the Word so that they don't walk away saying, well, I got this and this, but what about this? Because usually that's, that's room where the enemy can come in and bring doubt or bring um, inconsistencies or where he can even put it in their mind, well, don't worry about that. You know, you really didn't get it or it didn't make sense. So I want to be sure that they're not walking away with those questions. So I anticipate the questions, and I weave in the answers to those questions in the content of my message so that they've got that biblical truth, and they can own it as they walk away that day. Melissa, and then you, lastly— mm -hmm, Just yes, real quick, ahead. follow up on that, because I love that point. I think it's so important. Do you actually, um, at times, articulate the question out loud so that people in the room know that you uh, sort of understand their perspective, or do you just 
or is that just something you do in your preparation? It, no, I do articulate it. Yeah, okay. it's not just something in preparation. It, you do have to articulate it. And I think sometimes it's important to have to articulate it because you've got a, we have a lot of new believers, baby Christians, and you kind of guide their thoughts when you do articulate it. Mm-hmm. Um, it and it's as easily done as whether we're opening a message or we're in the middle of a point. You know, some of us have felt this before. Yeah, yeah. Some of us have thought this. You know, and in those moments, it's important to remember this, you know, kind of that. You, but yes, kind of you're highlighting it as you're preaching so that they, their mind suddenly knows to go to that. And it kind of alerts them, hey, that we're addressing something here. That's great. Um, you had one last thing I think you were about mm-hmm. to share with us. Yes. Yes. And this is my favorite. And this is when I've shared with other under 40s. And even when I shared with the the NW, uh, the National Network of Women's Ministers breakfast, a lot of them, you know, came back and said that that was gold, you know, because it was so practical. And so when you told me to talk on preaching, I said, I've got to share this. But it also takes practice. And the way practice happens is preaching is a language. It's communication. And the only way you better it is by talking more, writing more, doing everything that has to do with the modalities of language, Um, enhancing vocabulary, practicing your delivery and style, surrounding yourself with language so that language is something you are comfortable with. So some of the things I do is I watch the news. I watch the news uh, so that I can have that academic language, if you will, always on my mind. I read documentaries, history books. Uh, I listen to podcasts. I read all kinds of books. The Bible, yes. I study the Greek and the Hebrew language. I will read bi- biblical commentaries, historical books about just life, you know, um, inspirational books. I'll read academic books that have nothing to do with the Bible, but I want that language in me. And also I want to better certain areas of academia in my life. I want to keep those sharpened. And I even read literature. I think we can learn a lot about that because there are certain books in the Bible that that are they they've been compared to literature books you know such as the psalms um song of psalm song of solomon there's so many metaphors and similes so i think sometimes it's good to expose ourselves to to good literature you know none of that crazy reading that's out there but good literature um things that have have transcended the time and and the ages um and then i also learned from different styles of writing i'll pull from those books and when i'm reading these things what i do is i either on my laptop, if I have my laptop nearby, sometimes it's on my phone in my notes section, um, or if I'm journaling that day, it'll be in my journal. But I create, I have like a database where anytime I'm reading something and there's an anecdote, there's a quote, there's something I could use for a future message or just something that stuck with me, I will file it away into one of my um, one of my forms of, of documentation. And I will, I've got a filing cabinet full of this stuff I've already printed out, you know, for marriage seminars, for teens, for leadership, for discipleship, for prayer, for, uh, you get, the list goes on. And I've got resources there. So anytime I'm going to prepare a message and the Lord speaks on my heart and says, okay, you're going to preach on prayer or you're going to a women's conference and they want you to deal with women in ministry, I go and I pull that file out just because I've got so much resource here. And I don't always use all of it, but there are some things that I'll feel, okay, now's the time to pull that out. So I think that's important that as we're reading these books or listening to podcasts and research, that we're documenting what we could use in the future. And we're filling up that storehouse where we can um, extract from later on um, 
and, the, and it's organized by topic and audience. And then when I'm preparing my message, I also include these resources, personal anecdotes, figurative and rhetorical elements. You got to be intentional about that, especially if maybe your background isn't an English guru or uh, maybe you didn't have a lot of classes in, in preaching or whatnot. Um, it's important just around yourself with those type of resources so that you can use those. When people use metaphors and messages, when people use similes, when people use alliteration, where the first letter of each of the words that's in their title you know, or is all the same letter, uh, or when people talk in threes, like God is going to give you life. He's going to give you power. He's going to give you victory. I always wondered why do people do that? And then I found myself doing that. And I never picked up on the fact that I did it as prevalent until one of the editors for my first book said, do you notice that you did this a lot and that we had to go back in there and some of them we kept, but there were a lot of them in there. It just became habitual for me. But um, doing that is a rhetorical element, which actually provides elaboration to what we're saying, but it also makes it more pleasing to the ears because it almost has a rhythm and a flow to it. Hmm. So those are just stylistic tools that people use. It's, there's research behind it, rhetorical research found through ages and ages of history, going back to uh, Aristotle and St. Augustine, of why they used it, because it, it's more gratifying to the ears. It helps with the, the pathos of it. It appeals to their emotions, to their passions uh, of those of the audience. Wow. And so a lot of these elements, it heightens comprehension. This is important because when we do these things, like let's say you're preaching and you give a big biblical concept, um, you know, um, let's be, let's be light, you know, let's be the light of Jesus. Let's be light out there. Well, let's say you got a baby Christian there, be light. How am I going to be light? You know, there's not a light switch on me. It doesn't make sense. How do I do that? And then you come in and you share an anecdote of, hey, I was, at a, I was at a grocery store, I was doing something, and I encouraged someone that was there, and they're like, man, you really encouraged me, I needed this today, I was being light, because they were walking through a dark situation, but I was turning on the light in their situation, giving them hope, you know, just taking a moment to encourage them. That's how you can be light. So what I did is I gave them a biblical concept, but then I simplified it and enhanced that comprehension. When we do that, we provide our audience with the personal emotional connection, obviously, to the story, but I'm also helping bring them to a rhetorical persuasion because I'm elaborating on the concept in a way that's gratifying and it appeals to their emotions and their passions. Um, another thing when we're talking about language is we as preachers have to be intentional about manipulating language. So I journal, I blog, though I have to admit I haven't blogged in a little bit because motherhood is crazy. So I have felt conviction. So I'm getting back to it. I've got them in my journals. I need to put them on my blog. I've been writing in my journal. It's time to transfer over. Um, but I write out my prayers in my in a lot of times in my journals. Uh, sometimes when I go and preach at events, when I'm praying for them in my preparation time for that event, I will feel like God's putting a prayer in my spirit. And I write it. And when I get there at the end of the message, I'm I'll call them to the altar and I'll say, this is the prayer that I want to pray over you. This is the prayer God put in my spirit. And I write out that prayer. I use a thesaurus to expand my vocabulary because I don't want to get caught up using the same words all the time. Uh, and all of these are techniques that sharpen writing skills. But if you're sharpening your writing skills, hello, you're going to be sharpening your speaking skills too. Yeah. They, there was a quote that said once, if you're a good writer, you're going to be a better speaker and communicator. It doesn't work the other way around. Man, so is... even when I'm writing, I will type out my manuscript, I'll go word for word, I'll practice reading through it so that volume 
phrasing, intonation, fluency feels comfortable for the moment I'm going to come in. Um, if anybody out there listening to the podcast happens to be a bilingual speaker, which I am, in whatever that other language is, I do all of this in the other language as well because I know I need to sharpen it. It's my mm. second language. But I think when, when we sharpen these tools, it helps us so that our grammar and our delivery style doesn't impede or hinder the heart of the message, which is leading the people to truth. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. What a great, what a great practical um, tip. And the thing I love about that is no matter where you are, if you're a youth pastor who's about to preach your first message or you are someone who's been preaching for 20 years, um, we can all do this and, um, and we can all grow and become better. And so thanks so much for that. Um, that, that that's awesome. That's really helpful. And I know I've even learned a lot just sitting here listening to you. And, and I hope my senior pastor has as well. Um, <laughs> Who is David, by the way, if you didn't know. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, so one of our goals here at the podcast, Melissa, is, yeah, we want to help people become better leaders, but we also want them to become better eaters. And, um, oh, <laughs> yes. So, so a simple question for you, and we're going to have you back on another podcast. Um, but for today, we want to know, what's the best thing you have eaten recently? What's the best thing you've eaten recently? Oh, my goodness. Um... I guess it would have to be obviously nothing I cooked. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not that bad of a cook. Um, what did we eat? We went, because, okay, let me preface this by saying every Thursday is our date, family date. So my husband and my, my toddler and I, we will go out and we will look for restaurants to go and eat at. And um, we recently visited um we love breakfast eateries, mm. but they have a place called here, the Toasted Yolk, and they have um, they have churro donuts. Have y'all ever, do you know the, the Mexican sweet bread? They have churros, which are like these long sticks oh, of yeah. cinnamon yep. and yep. sugar, a donut, kind of like a stick donut, if you will. Oh, well, they have those in donuts, and so we start with that. And then we'll get our plate because we don't believe in diets on Thursday since it's our date day. <laughs> and um, that's and then biblical. That's I biblical. had, amen, amen. I, it's got to be in the Bible somewhere. I know it. <laughs> but um, I had some scramble. It was so good. But they had chorizo in there, and then they had the egg, the potatoes. It was all mixed in and blended. Uh, had the toast on the side. But I, that was the best thing. I think it was like the fiesta scramble or something. Oh, but it man. was really good. And I'm the kind of person that if you mix it, it's even better. There so, you go. Um, yeah, that was really good. Man, you that sp- sounds good. You speak in Jared's language. Breakfast is his favorite, <laughs> his favorite meal to go out and eat. That's right. Actually, when we were in Orlando for general council, we had a great breakfast hash at a place yep. uh, near the convention center. So, yeah. Now we're ready for lunch. Ready for lunch. But before we do, Melissa, thank you so much for being on. Hey, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Are you on Twitter, Instagram? Yes, I'm on Facebook. You can find me Facebook. You can find me Instagram, Pastor Melissa J. Alfaro. Um, also, have my blog, Melissa's Memoirs, through WordPress.com. So you can definitely find me there. Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, if you uh, want to hear more, we're going to have her back on to talk a little bit about balancing family, life, ministry, kids, all that kind of stuff. So, Melissa, thanks so much. This has been the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.